Welcome to Candid Catholic Convos, a program brought to you by the Catholic Diocese of Harrisburg. Our mission is to humanize the church and help you to grow in your faith, love, and understanding. I'm your host, Rachel Trochet, a cradle Catholic who's only human and struggled with faith on more than one occasion. Each week, you'll hear engaging, down-to-earth interviews and actionable strategies you can implement into your life with ease to help you grow closer to God. If you're ready to open your heart and step fully into the person God created you to be, then you're in the right place. Let's get started. Welcome back to Candid Catholic Convos. Today is part two of our exploration into Halloween with Father John Zeta. If you missed last week's episode, you can check it out on our website at hbgdiocese.org or on Spotify to get caught up. In case you missed it, we talked about the history of Halloween as being inherently Catholic and interconnected with All Saints Day and All Souls Day. We also talked about the origin of jack-o'-lanterns, trick-or-treat, and why we use the colors orange and black. We dove deep into ghosts and demons and clairvoyance and why utilizing paranormal investigators is advised against, regardless of how good their ratings are on TV. Trust me, you're going to want to check it out if you haven't already. Some of the revelations he shared made so much sense. For instance, Halloween as All Hallows' Eve. What's another word for a saint? Hallow. Also, celebrating the day before a feast day is something we do a lot as Catholics. There's Christmas Eve, New Year's Eve, the Easter Vigil, and even Saturday evening Mass. It all points to the celebration of Halloween as a traditionally Catholic holiday that lost its richness over the years. Even the origin of carving pumpkins as a means of warding off demons I found fascinating. And if you're not sure what to carve on your pumpkins this year, you can check out justloveprints.com where you can download free Catholic pumpkin carving templates of the Miraculous Medal, the Sacred Heart, and more. I also had no idea trick-or-treat started as an exchange of sweets for prayers for the deceased. This year, when I take my kids around, I'm going to try to say a prayer for every house we visit and teach them to do the same. My favorite revelation? That ghosts are in fact real. That just blows my mind. And it makes the ending of the new Ghostbusters movie, Ghostbusters Afterlife, so much more impactful. Spoiler alert for those who haven't seen it. Harold Ramis, the actor who played Egon in the original movies, passed away a few years ago. And the main plot of this movie follows his grandchildren as they seek to understand the grandfather they never met, while simultaneously trying to stop the demon Zul from re-entering the world. At the end of the film, the original Ghostbusters reunite, and an age-progressed image of Ramis appears as the ghost of Egon Spengler. He doesn't speak during this segment which I originally attributed to the illness he battled in real life that eventually robbed him of his ability to speak. But now I see it as a more accurate representation of ghosts in the real world. Whether that was the intention of the filmmakers or not, it's still pretty cool to think about. Today we're continuing our conversation with Father Zeta, digging into discussion on poltergeists, superstitions, santeria, and more. So without further ado, let's jump right in. So we touched on this briefly in our last episode and then again just now about how those who have passed away are not allowed to communicate to the to the living verbally um, and that us trying to communicate 
to the dead through Ouija boards or other methods like paranormal investigators is opening a door. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, he says not to believe every spirit, but to try them to see if they are from God and that everyone that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God. Adam Bly, who's a church-decreed expert on religious demonology and exorcism in the Pittsburgh diocese, says that spirits from purgatory, like you had said, can appear in hopes of intercessory prayer, but they're not permitted to speak. So for argument's sake, let's say we run into a spirit. How do we use John's instructions for testing the spirit if they can't answer us? First of all, let me say that Adam Bly is a good friend of mine. No way! <laughs> oh, yeah. So we know each other well. We've we've been to many conferences and so forth together. So, in fact, I call him on a regular basis. We consult about all kinds of things. So, yeah, he's a very, very good friend of mine. That's awesome. Um, so, anyway... Um, when you again, you talk about um, the the spirit. See, the the number one problem here is this is a violation of faith, mm. right? Because I'm trying to figure out, I'm trying to learn, I'm trying to know, rather than trusting in God. All right, and this is where the problem with Ouija boards and tarot cards, you know. It's all a matter of it's it's power and control. People, we live in such an insecure time, right? Um, the bishop just actually talked to us in his homily that just a little while ago about anxiety being the number one health issue in in America today. All right, and I believe that. And um, you know, post COVID, so, so many different things. But I think what has happened is, and I didn't mention this to him, I will eventually. Um, I'm seeing an uptick in people turning to the occult because they're looking for security. They're looking for answers. They're looking for black and white. They want some sort of stability. All right. And they're not finding it in there. They're so, so insecure in their world that that's why they turn to the occult. They want answers. They want stability. They want something that they can stand on. And that's why they're getting into trouble. But again, it's a violation of the the um, theological virtue of faith. It's also a violation of the first commandment. You shall have no gods before me, right? Uh, and so that's why those are dangerous things, because they're putting something else all right, ahead of God. And all of those occult practices are demonic. Whether they want to admit it or not or like it or not, they are. That's interesting. Then what's the difference between praying to a saint, which is encouraged, versus communicating with the dead, which is strongly discouraged, even though they're both dead? <laughs> okay. Well, because, you know, in the in the mystical body of Christ, okay, each of the three dimensions has their own function, if you will. So, you know, in when we have saints in heaven, one of their primary functions, I mean, they're in heaven, so to speak, they're not yet complete or full because they don't have their bodies yet. But, you know, intercession, prayer for us, all right, is part of their mission, if you want to call it that. Whereas the souls in purgatory can't. They're stuck, all right? They can't do anything for themselves. So they rely on us, right? We rely on the saints, all right? The souls in purgatory rely on us, all right? So there's a dynamic here between the three parts of the mystical body, which is very, very important. So again, you don't communicate with the dead because, again, that's a violation of faith, all right? It's a violation of, the, of uh, this whole uh, trust in God, Whereas praying to the saints is a different ballgame because they are already in communion with God, all right? I mean, now we sometimes make a serious mistake and we think that, and you just read the obituaries, you know, all you have to do to get to heaven is die, 
You know, it's like you know, die becomes you know that becomes your ticket to heaven. Uh, that's not necessarily. We're making some presumptions there that we don't know for sure whether this person is really in heaven or not. Which is why funerals should be focused on praying for the deceased, for the remission of their sins and for their everlasting life. All right. Too many funerals don't do that anymore. All right. They're focused too much on. You know, this person is now in heaven and, and all those other kinds of stuff. And we can't assume that. And yet we're doing that all over the place. So that's the difference. You know, we, the, the saints in heaven intercede for us. We need their intercession. The souls in purgatory need our intercession. So there's a dynamic which is built into the very system, so to speak. That makes a lot of sense. And yeah, you're right. Um, I've noticed that a lot of funerals nowadays are more for the closure for the living versus right. closure for the deceased. Right, right. Kind of piggybacking off of that a little bit. My grandfather had passed away before my grandmother. And in life, he was a big prankster, always playing tricks on her. And after he died, she was convinced he was still playing tricks on her because her earrings would move and she wouldn't be able to find them until she yelled for him to put them back. And then they'd show up right where she left them. Does God allow our loved ones to give us signs like a cardinal or a rose or moving our earrings um, or a song on the radio when you're thinking about them? It's a good question. There's, there's two aspects to it. The first is that there are such things as poltergeists, playful ghosts, if you want to call them that. All right. Um, you know, what status they have in the afterlife. I'm not exactly sure, but we know they're there. All right. Um, they might be, if you want to call them, minor demons who's, who are thus there to, to aggravate us, so to speak. And I think there's a lot of those, to be honest with you. In terms of, you know, can the, the, we know that the saints have the ability to, by the grace of God or the permission of God, to, um, to show up, if you will. But if you stop and think about it, in all of the history of the church, uh, when there are apparitions or all of these kinds of things, overwhelmingly they're Christ or the Blessed Virgin Mary. Mm. It's very rare that you hear of any apparition of a, of a saint. That's right? very true, yeah. Now, why is that? Because the saints don't have their bodies. They are in an imperfect, even though they're happy in heaven, they are in an imperfect state without their bodies. So they're their ability, other than their intercessory, uh, intercessory prayer for us, their ability to really interact with us is limited. Whereas for the Virgin Mary and for Christ, that's not true. They have their bodies and they can, you know, physically manifest in, in many ways. So, um, so, so you have two different situations here. You have poltergeists and then they're real. And then you have, you know, the saints. But I think it, it's... To, to say that that would have been her husband playing games with her, I, I think that probably, you know, some poltergeist was playing the games with her. And she just assumed that it was her husband. You know, it comes down to that, I think. That's so fascinating. It's, I just found it so funny because that was the one day that she had stayed with us. And she was like, I can't find my earrings. And I went in and I tore the room apart with her. And she's like, whatever, he'll put them back. And then 10 minutes later, we went back. And she's like, I told you, they're right there on the bed where I said they were. So yeah, we, we've run into that. And, you know, sometimes demons will actually do this sort of thing. I mean, there'll be vicious attacks in which they will move things, knock things off the wall, knock things over, pull chairs out, you know. Yeah, so they do that sort of thing. As a matter of fact, I've just gotten a, 
a call the other day from one of our parishes, um, and there are some uh, manifestations taking place within the parish, within the church. Um, and they had an incident where the um, the corpus flew, I'm using that word, that's the word they used, flew off of the processional cross at the beginning last. It wasn't bumping, they've looked at security cameras, they don't know why this happened, but it literally flew off by itself from the crucifix, from the cross itself. All right? So there's something going on in that particular church that uh, Bishop and I are going to have to make a visit to. <laughs> That's wild. Wild. So going back to the difference between ghosts and demons, if we're being like physically tormented, um, the chair is being pulled out or right. like actually being scratched or anything right. like that, is that more indicative of a demonic infestation versus like seeing my grandfather for instance and he can't talk to me no well see again there's different there's different levels there's um infestations there's oppressions there's obsessions and there's possessions all right so they're all slightly different all right they become more intense um an infestation is exactly when um a demon um will be in a place a ghost right Rather than being just a spirit of the dead, it, it may be a, go, a, a demon that's actually infesting a place. Uh, and it's a haunted house or whatever it might be. Then, then you have um, oppression, and this is where a person can be physically attacked. And yeah, it, it happens a lot. Unfortunately, it's happening more and more. Um, then you have oppression in which a, a person, um, obsession rather, in which a demon will actually attack the person's... See, demons can't read your mind. But they can put all kinds of thoughts into your mind to cause you discouragement, despair, anxiety, fear, all of those sorts of things that they play with, all right, and manipulate. And then possession, of course, when a person is actually possessed by a demon. And even with possession, there's three main different uh, levels of possession. A person can be partially possessed, a person can be uh, fully possessed, or a person can be perfectly possessed, all right? Partial possession is a person who is possessed, but they can function normally most of the time, all right, except every once in a while a demon will manifest under certain circumstances, certain conditions. But then you have a person who is fully possessed, and this is a, a person who will even, for example, um, black out. The demon will take over at given times, and the person will not even be conscious. They will not even be aware of what the demon is doing in and through them at that given moment. The most frightening one is a perfect possession. A perfect possession is a case where an individual has freely and consciously chosen to give themselves to the service of Satan. Mm. So they look perfectly normal. They act perfectly normal. They never have any manifestations, but they are completely under the control of Satan because they've chosen it themselves. Now, it's unfortunately happening more often than we would like to believe. That's pretty terrifying, because it could just be someone walking down the street that looks perfectly fine. Well, you know, the most terrifying part of all is the fact that when it tends to be a priest or a bishop. Mm. And I know of cases of like, like that. That is absolutely yeah. terrifying, because the person who's supposed to be able to help you is... That's right. Oof, chills. So speaking of 
homes because we had talked a little about you know at the infestation of a home my husband and i are on a journey to sell our house and the house that we are looking at is over 100 years old my husband was nervous because he's like well, what if it's haunted and i was like don't worry i know a guy but <laughs> <laughs> gee i wonder who. <laughs> <laughs> but in that journey i was starting to get nervous about somebody purchasing our home and i had learned of the tradition of burying a statue of St. Joseph in your yard, which is still practiced by a lot of right. real estate agents and homeowners. And what I found interesting in this practice is that it dates all the way back to the 16th century when St. Teresa of Avila buried a medal with St. Joseph's image on it in the soil of a parcel of land that she wanted to purchase for her convent. What's the difference between that practice or saying a novena and a superstition like carrying a rabbit's foot or wearing the same pair of socks to every baseball game. I mean, that's a very, socks. very good point. And some of it can be superstition, all right? So, um, yes, by all means, you know, bearing a statue of St. Joseph, you know, upside down in the yard, you know, that's superstition, all right? But there are cases where we, well, what we have actually done is um, taken St. Benedict medals, which have been exorcised and blessed. And St. Benedict medal must always be exorcised, not just simply blessed. Um, and then you take that and you bury that in the yard. And this is protection against demonic attack. It's not, you know, we're hoping to get the house sold or something like that. No, this is actually protection. Maybe a house has been attacked. So then we will, it's just like when, um, if I'll do a, a, a blessing of a home where there has been some infestation, um, we will always uh, anoint the doors uh, going outside with ex exercised oil. Again, this is protection against the demonic attack. I had one one time, it was really, really beautiful years ago, um, came to a home to bless it, and they had little children. And um, so I was anointing the door. Mother got a hold of me later on, and she said to me, my little one, I think she must have been four or five at the time, she said, Mommy, when father was doing that, I saw all these demons going right out the door. She said, this little girl saw the demons fleeing the house as I was anointing the doorposts of the house. So, yeah, it, so that's, you know, that's not superstition. That's the church's ritual. That's the church's, you know, sacramentals, you know, as opposed to superstitions where the real estate agent is, you know, putting St. Joseph upside down in the ground, you know. Right, and I'm assuming you can't buy a St. Benedict medal that's been exercised or no, blessed you, you, on Amazon. Yeah, no. You, well, you can buy the medals, but then you have to take them to a priest. And any priest can do that, by the way. It doesn't have to be just an exorcist. It's in the ritual, and any priest has the power to, to do that particular exorcism. Priest, you know, there are many exorcisms, even in the church's rituals. There's an exorcism in baptism. The, the, uh, the RCIA, the, the, right, the, um, the rights of... Um, uh, election actually include exorcisms. Those are minor exorcisms. Any blessing of a house is actually a minor exorcism. And any priest can do that. Right? It's something when you get to the other higher levels that you call in the, the exorcist. You know. That's really cool. So I'm making a note to, <laughs> <laughs> to have somebody come. There you go. <laughs> so kind of this isn't on the sheet, but you, you trigger something in my in my thoughts. When I was growing up, I used to have an imaginary friend. Okay. And I remember when that imaginary friend just like left. Like there was one day that I just stopped seeing her. Right. But I was able to draw pictures of her. And you talked about that little girl who saw the demons right. leave. And especially as a parent, how can you determine if what your child is seeing is just a figment of their imagination or something you should be concerned about? 
again, what you just described in terms of having an imaginary friend is, is very normal for little children. That's not a problem at all. Part of it depends on what they tell the child, okay? Because so sometimes, you know, we've had cases where in the demons, or yeah, it would be a demon in this particular case, would tell the child, well, you have to do this or you have to do that for me. If you don't do this for me, I'm going to hurt your parents. I mean, they threaten people, you know. So part of it has to do with what is the actual communication between the child and the imaginary friend. You know, if it's just an innocent sort of, you know, playmate sort of thing. And like you said, you know, they, they leave. The child reaches a certain point and then it's, they outgrow that, all right? Um, so you just observe the situation and uh, ask questions and, you know, see what's going on. You don't try to suppress it or anything like that because that could be, you know, more dangerous for the child in the long run. Um, but you just observe you see what's going on, you ask questions, and uh, if you hear that they're being told certain things or making certain threats, then you call the priest. Good to know. Good to know. So going back to superstitions, my husband's family is from Puerto Rico, uh -huh. and in Hispanic cultures, especially Santeria is very present. I'm aware of it. <laughs> for, for everybody listening who doesn't know, Santeria is an Afro-Caribbean religion that mixes Catholicism, witchcraft, and voodoo with the Roman Catholic element being most obvious in the way their deities are associated with Catholic saints like St. Barbara. Its practice relies heavily on superstition and rituals and ceremonies, which we view as witchcraft, but to the outside, and I don't mean to sound super challenging on this, it was just the way it came out, no. doesn't our mass and the whole basis of our faith seem like rituals and superstitions? Ritual, yeah, superstition, no. <laughs> okay, uh, because all the entire sacramental system of the church is ritual, all right? In fact, human beings need ritual. You go through a ritual every single day. You get up, you go through a certain ritual as you prepare to go to work, as you take care of your child, as you prepare breakfast or dinner. You know, ritual is part and parcel of human experience. If we don't have ritual, we'll go crazy, all right? So, yeah, ritual is absolutely, but the sacramental system is different because you see, when you're dealing with superstition, it's the idea of the practitioner that is imposing their ideas, wants, desires into the ritual. Whereas for the church's sacramental system, the mass and the sacraments, it's not that way at all. I'm not imposing my ideas into the mass. Right? This is part of divine revelation which has been given to us. I am entering into the ritual. I am not projecting the ritual. It's a completely different ballgame, totally different ballgame. That's interesting. So I know a little bit about it just because my husband's family is familiar with it. Right. When we were first married, we lived in a, a very Hispanic neighborhood. So we would go into like the corner store and there'd be candles of saints and, and things like that. Um, and it always kind of turned me off a little bit because I, I wasn't sure, like, yeah. like the idea is like, oh, it's nice. I'm going to light a candle to my saint. But then when you learn more about it, it's it's not as innocent as it seems. Exactly. Could you expand a little bit on on Santeria and what some of the dangers are? Well, again, it, it, they're you're right. They they use the um, names and images of Catholic saints. And that was a way of pulling the wool over people's eyes so that they didn't know that they were really worshiping demons. Pure and simple, that's what it is, all right? And it's all about power, and it's all about control. 
And so, yeah, and, and so it's all demonic, pure and simple, right, right from the get-go. Um, and I've unfortunately dealt with Santeria uh, in one particular case, especially of, of possession, and um, it can be very, very dangerous. You know, what it ultimately comes down to, too, is that I'm thinking of this one particular case. It comes down to authority. You know, you mentioned having a child. You know, parents have authority over their children up to a certain point, okay? The bishop has authority over me, all right, to, uh, up to a certain point. And so, you know, when a per- that's, what, that's what these um, occult practices are about. It's the individual who's trying to take authority by ritual practices so that they can control a situation, right? This is, you know, when we're talking about the Mass and the sacraments, this is the danger where the priest allows too much of himself in the celebration of the Mass because the Mass doesn't belong to the priest. The Mass belongs to the church. So the priest enters into the ritual. He doesn't control the ritual. If he tries to control the ritual, he's overstepping his bounds. And that's the big difference. So, yes, yeah, Santeria, Santeria is, is a, a very dangerous because, again, it has that veneer of Catholicism where, in fact, it's purely demonic. So fascinating. But the big one you really run into now is, is uh, Santa Muerte, you know, and you see uh, statues of Santa Muerte. You know Santa Muerte? Holy no, Death. I'm not familiar Holy with Holy Death. Okay, so you'll see a, a statue that, you know, looks something like the Blessed Virgin Mary, except it's, it's a skull with a, a, a scythe. And, I mean, we actually saw a picture of it yet at this, this week at the workshop. Um, the, the, one of our speakers was an exorcist. And, um, yeah, so you, it was like a, a, a takeoff on Our Lady of Guadalupe, you know, with the R around her and all that sort of thing. But it was purely, purely demonic. You know, again, appropriating Catholic ritual, Catholic practice, right, um, to demonic purposes. Hmm. So then, what about something like in Mexico? They celebrate the Day of the Dead. Is that? It's not much different than um, All Souls Day. Oh, okay. You know, except yeah. for the fact that again, this is where superstition comes in. Uh, they'll take food to the graves and you know expect the the dead to consume the food. Or no, you know, we don't do that. Um, but yeah, but there's not much difference between the Day of the Dead and All Souls Day. Very interesting. That makes me feel a little bit better about that one anyway. Yeah. This isn't on here, but I have to know. What was your favorite Halloween costume to wear when you were growing up? Ooh. See, I can't remember too many. Um, you know, I, I, I don't, I can't remember. I cannot remember, honestly, uh, what I ever really wore um, as the Halloween costumes. Because I must have given it up fairly, fairly young. That's all I can say. So <laughs> not, okay. I'm sorry, I can't answer the question because I really don't remember. <laughs> no worries, no worries. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm, I feel a lot better about Halloween now and, okay. and learning some of the history. And it's so I just love learning about history and and the, the things that are interesting about our faith and how where things actually come from and. My pleasure. My pleasure. Anytime. You know where to find me. Yes. (laughs) Thank you. God bless you. Thank you so much for listening. Our goal at the Diocese of Harrisburg is to walk with you on your faith journey. So if this episode resonated with you in any way, the easiest way to show your appreciation is by sharing this program with your network or by leaving a review on your listening platform. You can also support us financially by making a donation online 
at hbgdiocese.org DAC and clicking the Make a Donation button. Thanks again, and we'll see you at church on Sunday.